Well, hey, Heritage. I want to welcome everybody across our network to week two of Walking with Giants, which is just a journey exploring and looking into the lives of a few men and women who had certainty amidst uncertainty. They had confidence amidst the complexity of life because they all walked by faith. And we're having this conversation not just to understand what they did, but to understand how they did it. So we, in turn, can walk by faith as well. We saw last week that the biblical definition of faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it was that kind of faith that the ancients, these giants of faith that we're exploring in this series, that they were commended for. They were commended for that kind of faith. Now, we also saw one of the first components or secrets to walking by faith. That is to stop doing wrong and do what is right. To stop doing wrong and do what is right. And if you want to see that whole conversation, you can find it at heritageqc.com under the media tab. But one of the realities about stopping the doing of wrong and starting the doing of right is that it, it, it dovetails into our ability to live by faith. In fact, it's in Proverbs chapter 21 that we can read this. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's important to understand. That's why we started with that we need to stop doing what's wrong and start doing what is right. But I want to look at another secret to walking by faith today. But before we do that, I want to ask a question. And this is a rhetorical question, so I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to think about it in your head. What would be the greatest compliment that somebody could give you? What would be the greatest compliment that someone could give you? What do you want to be known for? It may not be something that is quite yet true in your life. Maybe it's something you hope will be true by the end of your days here on earth. But what do you want to be known for? As a person who helped people, had great kids, did a good job at work, loved Jesus? What do you want to be known for? In a way, I'm, I'm asking you to think in terms of, of writing your own epitaph. You know, an epitaph is a, a simple statement that honors a deceased person, and we find them on on tombstones. If you were to write your own epitaph, what would you choose? What would you want it to say? Probably not, uh, here lies no one who did nothing. <laughs> so that's a double negative. Maybe that works. No, it doesn't. Listen, you probably wanted to say something significant. And, and lots of people have done this. In fact, some famous people have done this. There's a man named Mel Blanc. Maybe you recognize his name. He, he was known as the man of a thousand voices because he did the voice for Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, Foghorn, Leghorn, Speedy Gonzalez. Same guy did all those voices, and it was Mel. And Mel decided to have this on his tombstone. That's all, folks. <laughs> Fitting. This is shouting back to his journey and his investments in life. There's another guy named Merv Griffin who was a TV show host and singer, and he decided to have this on his tombstone. I will not be right back after this message. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> if you were to write your own epitaph, what would it be? What, would, what do you want to be known for? You know, whatever it is, how we live now, what we invest in today, determines what can be said about us later. How we live our journey now actually defines the possibilities of tomorrow. And if, if you're willing to understand and apply the principles that we're discussing in the Walking with Giants series, 
It can radically change your life experience now and define what can be said about you tomorrow. It's that significant. So let's just get right to it. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It's, it's just before the book of James. If you find the Timothys and you start working your way back, you'll get there. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Your note guide has some of the scriptures as well as we'll have them on the screen. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 where we find a list of heroes and giants of the faith. And one of those heroes and giants has a really cool epitaph or the equivalent of an epitaph. His name is Enoch, and Enoch is the second person in this list. We looked at the first person last week, that was Abel, and now we're looking at Enoch's life as the second person in this list in Hebrews 11, and we're going to take a look at what it says, starting with verse 5 right now. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. That's a quote from Genesis. It goes on to say, for before he was taken... He was commended as one who pleased God. As one who what? Pleased God. That's significant. It's super cool. And I think all of us, to some degree, want that to be said about us. But the question is, how did he do that? How did he live that way? How did he and how do we please God? Now, we saw last week that part of the answer is just simply by faith. Because if we read into the very next verse, verse 6, this is what we see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please God without faith, but with faith, we can. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can please God as we live by faith. Now that seems pretty straightforward. But there's more to Enoch's story. In fact, let's jump to Genesis chapter 5. It's the first book of the Bible. If you've got your Bible, just turn all the way back. We're Genesis chapter 5, and we're in this section that we're looking at. We find a genealogy. We find a lineage, a family tree. And many times, those family trees can be kind of repetitious and even kind of monotonous. This family tree marks the journey from Adam to Noah. And, and, and in those family genealogies, sometimes it can just seem like, what's the point? Because like in some translations, you hear like, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. So like, what's the point? But listen, genealogies have relevance. They give us insight into the larger narrative. And this genealogy is fairly normal, like other ones, until we get to Enoch. When we get to Enoch, there's one statement that changes the dynamic. It's actually four words. Let's take a look. This is Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. There's your four words. Underline them, highlight them, whatever you want to do. Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Now listen, this is in a time period in human, human history when people lived a lot longer than they do now. And I'll get to the point where how that changed. But Enoch walked faithfully with God. And let's continue on on what's said in Scripture. He said, the Scripture says it again. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked faithfully with God. 
Again, underline it, highlight it, whatever you want to do, because those are the four words that change the whole dynamic. Now, in all of Scripture, there's only five passages in the Bible that reference Enoch, just five. Two of them are genealogies. And although we don't have a whole lot of information about Enoch, what we have is significant. We know from the genealogy that he's a direct descendant from Adam, which we all are, but his comes through Abel, which connects back to us as well, continue from Adam to Abel down to Enoch. Now, if we read the whole genealogy, you'd see that, that Enoch's dad, his father, was Jared. And, and Jared was 162 years old when, when Enoch was born into the family. And Jared would go on to live another 800 years. Again, this is a time period where people lived a lot longer. Now, this is Father's Day weekend, and we celebrate our dads. We're so grateful for their investment in our lives. We love you. Thank you. Enoch's dad was Jared, but Enoch was also a dad. He had his own sons and daughters. And if we continue in the genealogy, we find out that Enoch was the great-grandfather to Noah. Two by two, build an ark, Noah. The great-grandfather. Now, before that, though, Enoch had some kids. He had some sons and daughters, as we just read. And one of those children was Methuselah, one of his sons. And you may have heard the name Methuselah because it's often attributed to living long life because this dude lived 969 years. Not sure I want to live that long. 969 years. He was born to Enoch when Enoch was 65. Imagine having a baby at 65. But at 65 years of age, he, Methuselah enters into the family, and then Enoch lives another 300 years. And that's about all we know about Enoch. There's, there's no, nothing about his work, nothing about his accomplishments. But we have those four words. He walked faithfully with God. And they're not said once, they're said twice. Twice. Now, I don't know about you, but in my family, when I was a kid, if my dad said something to my brother and I more than once, if he said it twice, it carried a little more weight than when he said it once. You know what I mean? It was like, clean up your room before I get back. Okay, Dad. No, clean up your room before I get back. Yes, sir. <laughs> There's just a little more weight in the repetition. There's significance in the repetition. My boys know when I say something more than once, there's a little more weight to it. And there is that implied significance to the repetition, and the significance relates to Enoch's faith. He had such a faith that God spared him the experience of death. Now, after Enoch's time period, when after he would live... There are a lot of people who did not follow God. Many of them were descendants of Cain, and we talked about Cain last week. But the longer we go in that timeline, more and more people quit walking, and, walking with God and quit following him. Until we get to the point of Noah and his sons where there were only eight people with any decent walk with God. And that leads to the flood, destruction of humanity. I want you to catch in this. Walking by faith matters. It's not just about avoiding punishment. It's actually more about the presence of God and the provision of God in our lives. Last week, I, I laid out a few concepts, four concepts, that, there, that Bill Hybels, the pastor at Willow Creek Church, helped me put into words. One of those was this concept of a bucket. And our bucket can be filled at, at any level but we as people understand and know that when our bucket is empty, and this bucket represents our life, it represents our attitude, our energy, our time, talent, and treasure. When we don't invest in a way where we're pouring God-honoring things into our life, we end up 
empty. And when our bucket's empty, we've got nothing. Nothing. We're barely hanging on. If we can manage our life a little bit, maybe make some good choices, but if we still have poor choices, unhealthy relationships, even have some things that are not God-honoring in our life, we may have a little bit in the bucket, but we're not positioned to actually be filled. But if we invest in God-honoring activities... We invest in prayer and scripture and we worship. God, pour, we pour in those God-honoring things. He fills us. We're filled up so that when an opportunity comes along to do what is right, to do what is good, we're able to spill over. It, we're prepared and ready. When we manage our life in a way that we are filled up, now we're ready to do good. We're ready to do what is just, which is more pleasing to God. But when we don't manage our life well, we make poor decisions. We have things in our life that are not God-honoring. We're less ready and we're less positioned and willing to engage in the things God brings in front of us. And again, when we're empty, well, now we got nothing. And when we're walking with God, with an empty bucket, now the opportunities he brings feel more like burdens than blessings. And then we're tempted to look at the, the good that he wants us to step into as an inconvenience rather than a divinely orchestrated purpose. If we don't have intentional streams of being refreshed and filled, we will end up empty. And then we'll waver in our willingness to walk with God in the complexities of life. I think I can confidently say that the most important thing that you and I can do in life is walk with God. The most important thing we can do to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to be a, a, a good friend, is to walk with God. To be good at anything for God requires us to walk with him, because when we walk with him, then he fills us up to overflowing. And Enoch walked with God, so that his bucket would be full. Now again, the question for me is, how did he actually go about doing that? Well, think about it this way with me. Fundamentally, we are talking about the reality of faith. And again, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain what we do not see. But we saw in verse 6 of Hebrews 11 that it is by faith that we please God. By faith we please God. We, we can't please God without that. With, with faith we can please God. The challenge we have is understanding how to live that out. How do we make that journey? How do we actually get there? And the reality is it starts with understanding that there is a requirement that we agree. To agree. Now, to agree is to share the same view, to share the same opinion. It is to defer. It is not to contend. It is not to wrestle and fight and quarrel with. It is, it is to, agreement is, is the opposite of quarrel or contend. In fact, God even spoke about this contention with humanity in the next chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, right before we get to that whole flood dynamic. Here's what he said. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. So the Lord's saying, look, I will not fight and quarrel with humans forever. I'm going to limit their, their lifespan because I don't want them to contend. I want them to agree. I want them to step into a dynamic where they agree with me. And if we're going to walk a life of faith, it first starts with the reality of agreeing with God. If we're going to walk with him, 
God first wants to walk with us before he walks through us. And if you're tracking your note guide, let me get you back to that fill-in for today. But the reality is God wants to walk with us before he works through us. He wants to be in a space where he's filling us up first before he works through us so that we're spilling over into the, the situations around us where we actually can do good. And the way that begins to take place in our journey is that we agree by faith. That's the first step in the process of walking by faith with God. But here's the thing. Wanting to agree with God and actually agreeing with him are not always the same thing. To agree with God means we submit to him. We yield to him. We defer to him. We stop wrestling and arguing and debating. We actually choose by faith to agree with him even if that agreement means complexity in our lives. Because quite honestly, the the truth is we must agree with God to walk with God. We must agree with God to walk with him. We're never gonna be able to walk with God if we don't embrace agreement. Now you may think, okay, hang on, really, absolutely, that's, that's for sure? Yes, it is totally, totally the foundation of walking with God is being willing to agree, giving him authority that he deserves in the dynamic of our life. We must agree with God in order to walk with God. Just consider the words of the prophet Amos. Here's what he said. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. (laughs) They can't walk together unless they're agreed. That's common sense. Think about it this way. uh, The three-legged race. Who's been in a three-legged race? Bettendorf, you can get your hands up too. We need to do a lot more three-legged races in our church family. Okay, three-legged race. You stand next to somebody, their leg is here, you, you tie your leg to theirs, and now you have three points of contact where you're running a race with three legs. What happens if you're not in agreement with the person you're linked to? You fall down. You get nowhere. There's no way you're going to win that race. You have to be in agreement to run in a three-legged race. And we need to agree with God in order to walk with God. Yet I think often we want to link ourselves to God in a relationship with him through Jesus with the expectation that we don't have to agree with him. We think we can actually move forward and experience his pleasure and his favor, but we don't have to agree. But we need to agree with God. We want to walk with God. It's essential. Walking together actually requires agreement. It's where we stop doing what's wrong and we do what's right. The word that Amos uses here, together, has this implied meaning of two people in cadence with one another. It's almost like the idea of riding a tandem bicycle. You ever seen a tandem bicycle? It's one bike with two seats so two people can ride, and and you need to be in cadence and rhythm in that thing or it's not going to work out. But I think sometimes we in our faith journey with God can be like the father and son who hopped on a tandem bicycle one day and rode through town and then rode to the highest spot outside of town on the top of a hill. It was a hard climb, but when they got to the top, the father turned around just exhausted, but a bit exhilarated. He said, "Woo!" He looked at his son and said, we made it. I, I wasn't sure we were gonna make it up that hill. And his son looked at him and said, I know, dad. I thought for sure we were gonna slide backwards down the hill, except I kept the brake on to make sure we didn't. Yeah, it's, that's cute, that's funny. But I think we do a similar thing when it comes to our relationship with God. We hop on the bike and say, go God, and we're riding along, and then we look at the things around us, and fear creeps in, and then we no longer agree, and we start to, we start to pull on the brakes. We create a dynamic where we're not in cadence with him. But to walk with God means we need to be in cadence with him. 
To walk by faith, ultimately, though, isn't about us getting God in cadence with us, but about us being in cadence with him. And Enoch did that. Enoch walked by faith. That's what it means to walk by faith. Yet it amazes me how many people will claim to have close relationship with God while still not agreeing in their life, in their head or in their heart, in their habits or in their actions, in their hands. We need to agree with God in order to walk with God. We can't please him without that. Just consider the words of the prophet Micah. He said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Listen, faith is, is not just a belief. It requires the agreement of our heart. It requires that deference. It requires that choosing to no longer contend. But once we agree, it positions us to walk. Walk with God. This is, this is where we align our heart to his. This is where we pray. This is where we sit in stillness with him. We walk with him. Men and women, all men and women walk. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally and relationally. So the question becomes, who are you walking with? Are you walking with God? Or are you walking alone? Or walking with someone you shouldn't be in an unhealthy relationship? Enoch walked with God, therefore God filled his bucket. And, and Micah doesn't just talk about walking, he talks about the reality of love and the reality of action. Did you see it? Take a look. He says specifically, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. There's a component to this dynamic where it's not just about the walk, it connects to the love and the expression of that love in action. And that's not just an Old Testament concept. It's something actually the disciple John wrote about in 1 John chapter 3. Here's what he said. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence with him. Listen, Jesus was the ultimate example of what it means to walk with God. He modeled this reality of walking and loving and acting. Even in the complexity of Jesus' journey, in the most difficult parts of his journey, he stayed in step with God because he chose to agree with the will and purpose of God, even though it meant difficulty in his life. Jesus is the example that we're to be following. Even prior to John writing this in chapter 3, he says this in chapter 2, and it's just up here on the screen. He says, the one who says he resides in God ought, to, ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. We are to walk as Jesus walked. So that ultimately positions us with Jesus' example to, by faith, agree, even in the complexity of agreeing with God's purpose and plan, to agree with him so that we walk with him in humility, in submission, learning to, to know what what stirs his heart and what breaks his heart so that we can then in turn know what love is and understand not only how to love God and how to love other people, but also ultimately to love ourselves. And, and from that reality, that moves to action. When we understand love, it moves us to act. It's just where we stop doing wrong and we do what is right. It, it's, it's the expression of being filled up in our bucket to overflowing so that it spills out. And then once we do that, the reality is, look at this, now we please God. 
There is no way to please God without walking this journey. With faith, we can. How we do it is to, by faith, agree, defer, then to walk in humility, in prayer, in in worship, in fellowship with other believers, learning what love is and, and what that love is to be expressed as in our daily practices and actions. That's how we please God. When we walk with him, then we please him. There is no way to please him by skipping any one of these components. We need each one of them. Now, I'll be honest with you, the place that I often have to go back to most is here. It's the agreement piece, especially when God allows or orchestrates circumstances in my life that are painful, that are marked by loss, marked by any form of hardship or or things I just don't prefer. But in that moment, I have a choice to make whether I am going to defer to him as the authority in my life or not, whether I'm going to agree with him or not. I don't necessarily have to like it, but if he is my Lord, I will agree. I'll defer. Now, most people get stuck here. Many people have not taken a step of faith because they don't agree with God that they are in need of a Savior, that they they are sinners and needing rescue, spiritual rescue and spiritual life, and so they never take a step into relationship with God by faith through Jesus Christ in the agreement of their need for a Savior and a Lord. But once you do, then you can walk the rest of this journey and experience God's pleasure. And if, listen, if, if you've never taken that step to agree with God that you need Jesus as your Savior, you can do it today. And in your note guide are, are some simple steps and a prayer. You can agree with him and begin to walk with him and experience his love and know what that means in daily life. And you can experience his pleasure. The ability to agree starts in giving the authority of lordship to God through Jesus. That's where it begins. But I'll tell you, honestly, this is where I often struggle. This is where I have to go back to. But once I agree, the rest of this starts to work out. It it becomes a a, a fluid movement where I can experience his pleasure. I can understand what he's calling me to. Listen, it is by faith we please God, but it's as we agree, it's as we walk, as we love, and live that love out in our actions. I, I think sometimes we make it harder, we think it's harder than it is to please God. Because all we have to do is walk that journey. Faithfully, trusting. Not, not in our ability, but in his ability, his power. His power at work within us. When we act that way, well now we please God. And he fills our bucket. You know, this, this journey is what God desires for each one of us. As we live by faith through Jesus Christ, we can walk with God and we can please God. That's how we walk with giants. We don't know a whole lot about Enoch. Don't have a whole lot of information, but we do know he walked by faith and he pleased God. Therefore, I know he walked this. Because there is no way to walk by faith and please God by skipping any part of that circuit. But as we walk it in submission and deference and love and faithfulness, Well, then he shows up in ways we never expected. He begins to work in our lives in indescribable ways. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to pull us up to heaven like he did with Enoch. But he does faithfully reveal himself to us the longer we stay in this pattern, the longer we continue to agree and walk in love and act in our daily lives. And I, I even begin to wonder what it must have been like for Enoch to walk with God in such intimacy like he did for for 300 plus years. 
I can only begin to imagine the depth of intimacy he experienced, the, the things that he began to understand about God as God revealed more and more of who he is to him. I, I kind of think that they got, a, got to a point in their relationship where Enoch's heart so longed for God that God got tired of withholding parts of who he was. He's like, forget it, dude. Come on up here. Just go. Come on. You're done. To walk by faith requires agreement. It requires humility and walking alongside that love and that action. And I, and I wonder, I wonder where you're at in this circuit. I wonder what part of your life needs some work in this. I, I also wonder it for me. I, I go back to this myself and say, God, where am I not agreeing with you? Where am I contending with you? Because I would prefer something different. Lord, where am I not walking humbly with you and being faithful, allowing you to fill me up? Where am I withholding love? Maybe towards people who have not treated me well or mistreated me. How do you want me to act, Lord? What part of this in your life is not pleasing to God, where you're not living in a way where it is pleasing? Where do you need to step to be filled up by him? Enoch walked with God. And it pleased him. He walked by faith. And so can you. Now, I find it really interesting that God had Moses, he's the guy who wrote Genesis, describe Enoch the way he did. And then years later, through the Holy Spirit, asked another writer to describe what that meant. That ultimately, he was one who pleased God by faith. Sure of what he hoped for, certain of what he did not yet see. Well, so what? Look, I, I'm, I'm convinced that we need to develop a private walk with God before he ever gives us a public platform with people. We need to create the space and time for God to fill us up. Enoch walked with God, so God filled him as a result. What do you need to do to be filled up and spilling over? So that when God brings these moments in front of you, you're able to step into them and experience his pleasure as you do. Maybe the better question is simply this. What do you need to do next to live a life that pleases God? What do you need to do next? We all have a next. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God or how long you have run from God. There is a next for you in this journey. What do you need to do, to do next in order to please God? What, what part of the cycle do you need to talk to God about? It starts with faith, but it moves beyond that and leads to pleasing as we move from just belief to our head and our heart and our habits. God desires walking partners. From the beginning of time, he created humanity to be walking partners with him. We know from Genesis chapter 3 that, that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And God desires to walk in relationship with us. And he won't do this deep, intimate relationship with us at the speed of a run. He won't do it remotely. He won't do it in our absence. He does it in proximity. He wants to work with us before he works through us. And that intimacy is developed at the speed of a walk, not a run. And so every giant of faith understands and, and realizes the need to be still, to wait, and to walk with God. This is the reason God pursues you even today. He wants you to step. And I want to encourage you to take that next step. What do you, what do you need to do next in order to please God? Most often that's going to require stillness and quiet. It's going to require your ability to, to sit in an inner chamber space with the Lord and let him talk to you. Let him show you what it means to be in relationship with him and what pleases him. 
that, that quiet prayer space is the training ground for being filled up and being used in this life for his purpose and glory. And God wants to work through you, but he will first need to work within you to do that. And he is patient because he's looking for men and women who are positioned to be these vessels of his love in this world. And he'll wait till he finds one. But when he finds one, well, then he works through them in powerful ways. And he wants to do that in your life. So what do you need to do next in order to live a life that pleases God? What do you need to do next so that your epitaph reads the way you hope it will? Our ability Our opportunity to walk with God is a great thing. But in order to walk with him, we must first agree with him. When we agree with him and no longer contend with him, now we begin to walk in humility with him where he teaches us how to love. And he demonstrates and shows us how to live that love out in action where we stop doing what's wrong and we do what's right. And that's when we experience his pleasure. If you're looking at this cycle and you're like, man, I've struggled in, these, in parts of this. I've struggled with agreement. I've struggled to, to live it out and act, to stop doing wrong and to do what's right. I've struggled with that. Listen, ask God to help you. Say, teach me, Lord. He will. If you struggled because you've been empty, you haven't been filled, ask him to fill you. He will. Position your life to be replenished by, by streams of replenishment by God-honoring things. He will fill you so that you are positioned to then pour yourself out in a way that ultimately does please him. Again, I'll tell you, this is the hardest part for me. Especially when the dynamics around what he's asking me to engage in are marked by pain or loss. Marked by difficulty in life. And I have to go back to my prayer closet on a continual basis to be filled up so that I can, by faith, choose to trust him, not based in me and my ability, but based in him and his character and who he is, to agree with him so I no longer contend with him and then walk humbly with him where he teaches me how to love and act in a way that ultimately does please him. It's in those quiet spaces that that happens. Now, this is an individual journey, but it's also a corporate reality because as a church, we've been consistent in seeking to live by faith in a manner that pleases God. And we choose to agree with God in what he calls us to do, whether it's big or small, whether it's simple or complex. Our bold moves are an expression of this journey, each of them. In fact, our next bold move, the the acquisition repurposing of the former Kone building, This is us agreeing to him and seeking to walk by faith in a manner where we demonstrate love to everybody involved and we act in a way that ultimately pleases him. We're doing this as a church. In fact, let me just give you an update on where we're at with that particular journey. We have submitted our final offer with all the final details and we are expecting a response from the seller at any time. At any time. In fact, let me just take a moment. I'll check to see if I've got an email. Oh, look at that. 20% off khaki pants. (laughs) No email. But I'm serious. (laughs) We have submitted everything. Here's what we've done. We've agreed with God in the bold move. We've walked by faith and humbly with him. We've understood what it looks like to love everybody involved in the dynamic. We've acted in a way that we demonstrate that love, and we we are convinced we have we have functioned as a church and as a leadership team in a way that God is pleased. Here's the deal, though. The people around the dynamic still get to choose. So I want to ask you to continue to pray. To pray that God would, that his will would be done, 
that God would work in the hearts and the minds of the people involved so that he is pleased with the result. I will let you know as soon as I, as soon as I get it, you're going to be hearing from me. You won't be able to not hear about it. I'll be telling things all over the place. But we are in this space. I ask you to be praying. Continue to pray. We are close. And as you pray, I want to again ask you where you personally need to have some conversation with God about this. Where do you need to agree where you've been contending? Where do you need to let him fill you and be more intentional in your prayer life and your study of scripture so that your bucket is full, it's filled to overflowing so that you're ready to spill over in a way of loving action that does please him? We, we can please guys, but it's only by faith as we live this journey in a daily, ongoing basis. Whatever you need to do next to please him, be bold enough to take that step. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for the opportunity to gather as a church family. I thank you that in the complexity of life, in the uncertainty of this world, you are faithful and true. I thank you that you are someone that we can trust in, that we, we can choose to agree. Even if we don't prefer the dynamics, we can trust you in that. And when you do, you lead us in a journey of walking with you. You teach us how to love. You show us where you want us to act. And then you reveal your pleasure. God, it is, there's no, it's an indescribable feeling to sense your pleasure. And as much of a joy as that is for us, our goal is not just to experience your pleasure. Our goal is for you to be glorified. Our goal is for you, for you to be praised and worshiped. So Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us to know what our next step is so that we can live by faith. Help us to have the courage to step into that. And beyond that, Lord, may you be able to work in and through us in ways that are indescribable so that you are glorified, that your son is made known and many people step into relationship with him. So Jesus, work, work within us, then work through us as we step in obedience to you. I love you. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of your Son and our Savior. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.